This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from our studios in Tallahassee, home of Florida State University. You know how many FSU freshmen it takes to screw in a light bulb, right? The answer is none. That is a sophomore course. The Florida Supreme Court takes up an issue with huge political implications in the Sunshine State. Do former felons have to pay all their fines and make restitution before their voting rights are restored? Two lawmakers from Central Florida are filing bills to protect roofers, farm workers, landscapers, and other people who work outdoors from heat-related illnesses. They want cool water, shade, and regular breaks. State Representative Dane Eagle is the first politician to officially announce he's running for the congressional seat held by Francis Rooney, who plans to retire from Congress. Eagle says he's doing it in part to defend Donald Trump. Speaking of Trump, a new poll from Florida Atlantic University shows the president is in trouble with Hispanic voters in the Sunshine State. Our in-house polling expert Steve Vancor will join us to parse the numbers. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and the continuing adventures of Florida Man, or men as the case may be, the ones who stole Bigfoot. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, November 7th. The Florida Supreme Court is trying to figure out what the state can and cannot require from former felons who want their civil rights restored. Voters approved Amendment 4 last year, restoring rights to more than a million Floridians who've already served their time. But the governor and state lawmakers decided the amendment also requires payment of all fines, fees, and restitution, which would disqualify about 80% of them. The governor's lawyer, Joe Jaco, told the high court there is nothing wrong with requiring people to pay to get their rights restored. Whatever the judge hands down, those debts to society have to be repaid before one regains his voting rights. So I think the phrase, the expansive phrase, all terms of sentence, is intended to capture everything that a judge puts in a sentencing order, whether those are discretionary items or whether those are items required by law. Even if it's illegal? Well, certainly, uh, if it's illegal, there's a process to challenge those illegal sentences. And, and, and once that has been done and upheld, then the result of that would provide a new sentence. But ACLU attorney Anton Marino told the court that financial requirement is a modern version of a poll tax and violates the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. She also argued the court shouldn't even be involved yet because this is not a lawsuit. The court is responding to the governor's request for an advisory opinion. We ask this court to dismiss the governor's request as improper because it significantly expands his authority to request an advisory opinion from this court and indeed something that Florida rejected when it adopted the language that's existed in the text since 1885. And we would ask this court if it were to actually engage in an assessment of Amendment 4 that it concluded it does not require repayment of all legal financial obligations because doing so would mean every person unable to pay is serving a life sentence. It cannot be that more than four out of five returning citizens is serving a life sentence. And adopting the governor's interpretation leads to an absurd, res absurd result that contravenes the chief purpose of the amendment ratified by the voters. But Marino's arguments don't appear to have much traction at the high court. Justice Barbara Lagoa says payment of fines, fees, and restitution was part of the deal when voters approved the ballot initiative. How do we then deal with the fact that there were different op-ed pieces, there were voter guides that specifically discussed what was meant by terms, all terms of sentence, including a probation, uh, fines, restitution, parole. I mean, I have reams here of op-ed pieces and um, editorials from different papers all over the state of Florida that made it clear that this included uh, restitution and fines. 
A federal judge in Tallahassee has already issued a ruling that says that repayment requirement is unconstitutional because there's no provision to restore the rights of people who cannot afford to pay up. But the Florida Supreme Court is not bound by that decision. This is the time of year when Floridians can finally turn off the air conditioning, open the windows, and step outside without breaking a sweat. But what about the people who have to work outdoors all year long? Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith of Orlando says they need protection from the heat and humidity. Climate change is real, and Florida is not getting any cooler year after year. We have to protect our outdoor workers who are exposed to the many risk factors on a daily basis of prolonged exposure to extreme outdoor temperatures. 17 of the last 18 years were the hottest on record uh, in our state. Florida already has the highest rates of heat-related hospitalizations in the nation. And according to OSHA, every year dozens of workers die and thousands more become ill while working in extreme heat or humid conditions. Let's be honest about this. The people who work outdoors in Florida are doing jobs that most of us simply cannot handle. And Senator Victor Torres of Orlando says those are the people who need our help. It's the everyday folks out there working out there, roofers, gardeners, uh, agriculture, construction, uh, where we take it for granted. We go by them every day. We see them uh, at that task, and we don't acknowledge that they're working on the heat extreme uh, weather conditions. And how do we better their life, and how uh, does the employer take care of them? And these are issues that uh, we have to make the public awareness as to everybody out there, just don't drive by there and consider what they're doing in their everyday work life. Climate here in Florida is changing drastically, and we need to uh, understand that uh, when you are exposed to 8, 10, 15 hours in a day uh, in this heat, you need to have some breaks, you need to have some shade, you need to have some water. And these are just com uh, common sense fundamentals that we should be doing for our uh, workers. So Senator Torres has teamed up with Representative Guillermo Smith to sponsor the Florida Heat Stress Protection Bill. Guillermo Smith says it's fairly simple. We want to ensure free access to cool or cold drinking water for those employees who are working in extreme temperatures outdoors. We want to ensure 10-minute breaks every two hours for employees working in these extreme temperatures. And we want to ensure access to shade for those employees that are subject to these extreme temperatures. Many of these common sense precautions are already happening. They're already being implemented by many employers across the state of Florida, but it's not consistent. And we want to work hand in hand with the employers in Florida and with these businesses who employ outdoor workers to make sure that we are protecting those workers from these extreme risks and that we are working together to ensure that some of these heat-related deaths or illnesses do not continue uh, to occur. The bill would also require employers and workers to get the training they need to recognize the signs of heat-related illnesses and to administer first aid on the job while they wait for medical assistance to arrive. 
State Representative Dane Eagle of Cape Coral makes it official. He's running for the seat in Congress now occupied by U.S. Representative Francis Rooney, who is not running for re-election. Rooney is about the only House Republican to say he's keeping an open mind about the impeachment of Donald Trump, but Eagle has made up his mind and says he is running to support the president. He even picked up an endorsement from Panhandle Congressman Matt Gates, who is one of the president's most vocal supporters. Eagle is a commercial real estate agent now in his fourth term in the Florida House. He got an early start in politics by serving as deputy chief of staff to former Governor Charlie Crist at the wee age of 24. He's the first to throw his hat in the ring for the District 19 congressional race, but will not be alone for long. Other potential candidates are Republican State Representatives Byron Donalds, Heather Fitzenhagen, Bob Rommel, and former Representative Matt Caldwell. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Next on Sunrise, we have a new poll out of Florida Atlantic University that shows Donald Trump is, well, unpopular with Hispanics in Florida and is struggling in matchups with Democratic contenders. Uh, apparently, the approval ratings are underwater. What it says here, a poll of 600 registered voters shows Hispanics overall have an unfavorable opinion of Trump, 48% disapproving of his job performance, 31% approve. Now, for Puerto Ricans, it's even worse. 64% disapproval, 19% approval. Cubans, however, are the bright spot for the president. 47% approval, only 28% disapproved. Uh, Steve Vancour, our resident poll expert, <laughs> is here to parse the numbers it's been here. A while. We, it, it has. Welcome back. Thanks for having Missed me. Missed you. So, what do you make of the new poll out of FAU? I mean, obviously, the president is having problems with Hispanics. Well, as I want to do, let me back up for a second. Gotcha. Talk for a second about FAU polls because the listeners to this podcast and people who read my stuff know that I'm not a big fan because what they normally will do is do a poll and then drill down to primary voters, for example. And we, we last time I was on the show, I think we had 132 Republicans statewide. That's not a valid poll. Uh, so my criticism of them stands for those things. And they have other methodology issues, but not really for this kind of poll, Rick, because this is just a basic opinion of, of folks. Uh, while they did say it was a mixed methodology, over 90 percent of the uh, poll was taken through the same methodology, which was an online poll. They don't indicate whether they were self-selected or not. So that could skew it negatively against the president. Hey, would you like to take a poll on President Trump? The person who's mad would be more likely to do so. So we don't know that. But this isn't shouldn't surprise anybody. What a shock. Cubans are more favorable towards the president. They tend to be more Republican. I like the fact that they broke it out and, and didn't didn't say Hispanic voters in Florida are a monolithic group. They're right. The big three, Mexican, Puerto Rican, Cuban, uh, which comprised about 65% of their sample. So good. They, they did a good job with that and breaking out the favorabilities. Here's where they erred, though. On the test ballots, they reamalgamated them back together and then did the test ballot of all Hispanics. It would have been really helpful to see if that attitude translated into the behavior of the votes and who is most likely to do well among the Democrats, among those different groups. Okay, so did you get any takeaways from this poll other than questions about the methodology? Well, that's, you know, who I am. <laughs> you know, the president has traditionally been underwater with Hispanic voters, and that shouldn't come as a surprise. He ran his campaign, talked about 
Uh, they're all rapists, et cetera, whatever that you know hostile quote was. Right. And he's done something lately that probably uh, stings the Hispanic community and the immigrant community more than others. And it's not the stuff you're seeing top of fold. One of the things he's doing that really bites down ballot uh, is the um, public charge. The it? public charge yeah. issue where he has said that just for the, explain to the audience, public charges when you're applying for immigration status or even citizenship, it your individual ability to support yourself financially is taken into consideration. So if you go on welfare, you become homeless. That's called a public charge. And what he is now saying is even getting government-sponsored health insurance for your child will count. And he's even used the word retroactively against your public charge. That sends shivers through an immigrant community, which obviously a large percentage of the Hispanic population is. So that would explain if his numbers are slipping. Now, what we don't now have is the same methodology done six months ago and having comparison numbers. And hopefully we'll have another one like this done in six months so we can see, are, are the numbers going up or are they going down? Right. So whether it's a statistically valid poll or not, as long as they do a tracking, you can still make conclusions from that if they use the same methods as they go along. Precisely said. Exactly right. Okay. Now, I want to look at some of the other issues that they figured sure. among Hispanics. Uh, let's see. Hispanic voters ranked healthcare and the economy at the top. Well, let's let's immigrant populations. Economy is always number one. They want they have to have jobs. Why is healthcare so high among this group right now? The public, public charge, charge issue, and uh, that's what's on their mind because he's telling them if you and remember two almost two thirds, Rick. This is important. 63% of Florida children, so this isn't just an immigrant issue, two-thirds of Florida's children, nearly two-thirds, are on some form of government-sponsored health insurance, which is an incredibly large number, okay? He's saying, pulling out the immigrant family, saying, I will use this against you. I'm going to issue an executive order, use this against you as public charge. I got you. The other issues they singled out as top concerns that. Uh See, education was at 19%, immigration fourth, and uh, social issues, the environment, were tied at 8%. I always find immigration is number four is kind of funny, but yeah, yeah, because they're worried about can they stay? Because they come to America, <laughs> as my predecessors did come to America, because yeah. they're hopeful and they want to get a good job and they want to raise their family here. You would think immigration, but maybe because they're already here, they're less likely to be concerned about it. One would think. Also, it did show that... Uh, well, let's see. We've got Bernie Sanders in the lead among Hispanics in Florida. We're talking about, uh, what is it here? 37%. That's a pretty good a sizable one, followed by Elizabeth Warren and then Joe Biden. Uh, so, Again, margin of error. Those are the Democrats right. only. So that's only going to be about 200. I really, I, I didn't even, I started to read that and I dispensed it. And remember, they also <laughs> asked, they asked this question weirdly. Instead of pulling Democrats out of the voter file, and looking at their voter history, they say, which primary will you be voting in? And we know primary voting behavior is less than 30%. So there's very few numbers. I think it's less than 200 for those. So I, I, I really didn't pay much attention to it, nor should anybody on this, on this uh, uh, podcast. All right. Well, just for you, I'll do Here this. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even going to be concerned about that. All right. Thank you so much for stopping by, Appreciate Steve. It, Always man. a Thank pleasure you. to have you here on Sunrise. Good to be here. Thanks. On your political agenda today, the Florida Internet and TV Group starts a two-day conference at Universal Orlando. Speakers include Senator Jeff Brandis, Representatives Jason Fisher, Chevron Jones, and Jackie Toledo, plus the president of Enterprise Florida. It starts at 8.30 in the morning. 
The House Children, Families, and Seniors Subcommittee will receive a presentation about guardianship from the Department of Elder Affairs and the Clerk's Statewide Investigations Alliance. That's at 9 a.m. in the House Office Building. The Senate Appropriations Committee hears a presentation from the Department of Environmental Protection about Everglades restoration and the protection of water resources. That's at 10 a.m. in the Knott Building. The Florida Supreme Court will hear arguments in three cases, including an appeal by Eric Patrick, who was convicted of first-degree murder in the 2005 beating death of Stephen Schumacher in Broward County. That hearing starts at 9 in the Supreme Court room, and the court will be issuing its weekly opinions at 11. Senior U.S. Circuit Judge of Appeals Paul Kelly will be in New Mexico hearing arguments in a long-running battle between Florida and Georgia about water use in the Appalachicola-Chattahoochee-Flint River Basin. Confused yet? It gets worse. Florida contends that Georgia uses too much water, thus damaging the Appalachicola River and the Appalachicola Bay in Franklin County. This fight's been going on for more than 20 years. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed will take part in a panel discussion at the Sarasota Tiger Bay Club about women in politics. Former State Senator Lisa Carlton will moderate the panel, which also is expected to include former Senator Nancy Dietert. That's happening at 1130 in Sarasota. The Florida Department of Financial Services will hold one in a series of Be Scam Smart workshops to help seniors avoid financial scams. It starts at 1 p.m. at the Jewish Community Alliance in Jacksonville. And the Florida Department of Transportation will hold a public hearing in Miami-Dade County about the Palmetto Expressway Express Lanes Project. That's at 530 in the West Dade Regional Library in Miami. And time now for another chapter in the never-ending saga known as Florida Man. A Florida man arrested back in January after a DUI traffic stop in Pasco County is now facing a potential life sentence in the federal pen. Authorities say 33-year-old Timothy Cathcart of Tampa smuggled more than 7 grams of a fentanyl-laced powder into jail and shared it with three other inmates who overdosed and suffered severe injuries. Cathcart pleaded guilty earlier this week to conspiracy and intent to distribute fentanyl and non-fentanyl-laced substances. And the Boynton Beach Police Department has sent out an urgent tweet asking for the public's help finding Bigfoot. And it's not a joke. Apparently, a Florida man, or more likely several Florida men, stole a massive 8-foot-tall, 300-pound Bigfoot statue from in front of a local mattress store. Anyone with information on the whereabouts of the missing Bigfoot is urged to call Detective Danielle Whitfield or Crime Stoppers. And that's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee. We're back again tomorrow. <laughs>